Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce you today, Emily Almas, who's the Director of Admissions at Bowdoin College. Emily, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It is our honor and pleasure. So, Emily, let's start by me asking you, what is it about Bowdoin College that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? Yeah, that's a great question. I think Bowdoin is a place that attracts students who are really excited about the idea of being part of this community of about well, nearly 2,000 students from all over the country, all over the world. They come here to Brunswick, Maine, and really take advantage of the natural resources around them, of small classes with great faculty who are invested in the work they do, and all of us coming together thinking about the common good, sort of the bigger picture, how do we have an impact on the world. Uh, Bowdoin students go on to careers in all sorts of different areas and disciplines, and I think our liberal arts education prepare students really well for that. Our students come to Bowdoin because uh, the community is kind, it's welcoming, it's curious, it's excited about the world. And I think our students and our alumni go on to really consider how do they have an impact? What is the way that they're going to either in their career and their life outside of work, whatever it may be, um, do something that improves the lives of others. That's something we take very seriously in the work that we do. So the experience is great. The location is amazing. We're just a few miles from the coast of Maine um, and so many different opportunities as a result of that. It's a, it's a great place to be. Life on campus is very happening. There's always something going on and we can get a little bit into that more um, in this conversation. But I think there's a lot that Bowdoin offers students um, and that welcoming, kind, thoughtful community is something that really anchors all of that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the kind, welcoming, and thoughtful community, Emily, because I read a statistic that 98% of your students return for a second year. So your retention rate is 98%. I believe the national average is 69%. So that's just an astonishing number and a testament to the great work that you do in admissions to get the right people, the right students on your campus, but also all the great work that you do to keep them happy once they're there. 
So what is the secret, Emily, to keeping your students happy and wanting to return year after year? Yeah, I think there are a few pieces to that. One, really going back to that community I mentioned, we're a place that's collaborative, that's cooperative, and people really uh, feel part of that community. So I think that absolutely plays a role in retention as well. I think uh, the student experience is one where we as a, as a staff, as faculty, spend a lot of time and put a lot of resources. We're very privileged to have the financial resources to do this into thinking how can we support students in the best possible ways. So whether it is our uh, great advising for first-year students, um, our programs as part of orientation, all first-year students participate in uh, trips, orientation trips, before the beginning of the school year. A little fun fact, they did some math a few years ago, and there's something like 800 Snickers bars consumed on those (laughs) orientation trips. Um, But there's sort of a range of different ways we are very intentional in building that community. And then students, I think, find the opportunities here that are such that they can expand what they are are imagining their college experience might be like. As a student at Bowdoin, you don't have to declare a major. You can't even declare a major until your second year. So there's lots of room. You'll work closely with an advisor and faculty to explore the curriculum and and figure out um, what your academic journey here is like. I think some other things also are a piece of that. One is our uh, financial aid policy, our, our student aid. So we meet the full calculated or demonstrated need of all incoming first-year students. We do that uh, with grant aid. So we haven't put loans in our financial aid award uh, for a few decades now. I think since 2008, um, and accessibility in, in multiple fronts, but particularly financial access to the college is something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. And then there are little things, right? Things like the food. The food is great. <laughs> Not big on rankings, but if you look up best college food, you'll probably see Bowdoin's name out there somewhere. Um, but what I think food represents is an opportunity for us to come together in community, spend time eating meals for for example, talking with one another, getting to know one another. Were you to visit one of our dining halls, you'd see students from all different class years, all different backgrounds, majors and interests, truly sitting together, um, enjoying a meal, literally and figuratively breaking bread. Um, and so I think the community aspect comes through in all, all parts of the experience here. Well, that's a terrific overview. True liberal arts education. That's A true. community that is second to none with 98% retention rate. Meeting financial need, which is key for so many students and their families. And of course, who doesn't like great food? So again, <laughs> Emily, thank you so much for that overview. I also read that Bowdoin has been test optional since 1969. So Emily, what are your thoughts on the increase of schools going test optional And where do you see the test optional movement going over the next few years? Perhaps there's something that we can all learn from Bowdoin's philosophy being test optional since uh, 1969. Any thoughts you want to share, Emily? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm glad you asked this question. And it, you're absolutely right. Bowdoin actually was the first college in the country to, to become test optional back in 1969. 
I think every college has to make it or university has to make a decision for themselves about what policies work for them and what their philosophy and approach will be. I will say, though, for us, we've been doing this work. We've been admitting fabulous, wonderful uh, students, educating and graduating those students onto incredible careers and lives of impact for decades. And we know that we can do it well with or without test scores. So the choice is really up to a student. If a student wishes to submit a test score, they can. We'll look at it. And if they don't or choose not to, uh, for whatever reason, they haven't taken a test or they don't think their test score reflects their abilities, um, that's absolutely fine as well. I think the next few years will be interesting. I can't predict the future. I don't have a crystal ball. Certainly, I wish I had maybe a few years ago. I think we all probably would have. Um, things we don't know that are coming down the down the pike, whether it's in the higher education landscape, whether it's in the world, what happens in the world. Um, but I, I do think that you'll see probably some schools return to testing, um, but others probably following in the footsteps of places like Bowdoin. I'm incredibly grateful for the admissions leadership several decades ago who made this very bold move and have really led the way for other institutions to see that this is absolutely possible depending on the college or university. For us, we know it works um, and it's part of our philosophy and has been for, for many years. Well, that is so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing, Emily. And I was also curious, although you have been test optional since 1969, can you share how many students in your first year class didn't submit test scores? Sure. So this year's first year class, about 46% of students um, applied and were admitted um, test optional. It ranges year to year, but it's probably not far off that most years. Um, so it's nearly half of our students have test scores and nearly half don't. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to share that we've teamed up with Dormco to make your dorm decorating a lot easier. Why Dormco? They offer quality and durability, affordability, and a wide selection for bedding to storage solutions and everything in between for your dorm room. So if you or anyone you know is looking to decorate your dorm, see the affiliate partnership link in the show notes for Dormco, your one stop for stylish, affordable, and quality dorm essentials. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast gets a commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. Thank you all and best wishes. Well, we appreciate that insight. Thank you so much, Emily. And let's talk a little bit about the application process. So how many applications do you review a year? And do you review applications by region, intended major, or even high school? Any insight that you could give us into the application review process would be greatly appreciated as students and their parents are always interested in knowing what happens once they hit the submit button. Of course. So this year we received more than 10,000 applications. Wow. Our final application numbers obviously will be um, released sometime in the future as we finish out the cycle, but um, we've received more than 10,000 applications this year. And every application is reviewed in, in an individual manner um, by an admissions officer um, and another perspective on that application as well. Um, and it's really important to us that our admissions staff take the time to carefully 
thoughtfully look at the materials that uh, a student submits. So that's their application, um, their transcript, hopefully the uh, school counselor submitting that, not the student, <laughs> just to be clear, um, but the, the school transcript, uh, letters of recommendation, any additional materials, if a student chooses to submit testing, uh, the writing sample that is in their application as well. All of these different pieces um, are reviewed as part of our process. So students and families may have heard the phrase holistic review or holistic admissions before. Certainly that's applicable to the work we do here at Bowdoin. And I would also say, you know, it's a very individual process. We generally start with the transcript because a student's academic preparation and performance are going to be key to our understanding of a student's potential for success at Bowdoin. We know that different students in different high schools offer different things. Some schools offer advanced placement coursework. Others might have international baccalaureate or dual enrollment or offer none of these or all of them as choice or something perhaps entirely different. So we don't have a very particular set of expected courses, for example, in terms of a specific class. But what we are hoping to see are students who are taking a broad range of courses, um, rigorous courses within the context of what's available to them at a high school over their four years. Most students are taking things like four years of English or language arts, social studies or history, science coursework, mathematics, and several years of a language other than English. And again, which exact courses students take are, are going to vary depending on the high school that a student attends. But we want to see where a student has had choice to pursue different coursework, what classes have they elected to take, and then also, of course, of importance, how have they done in those courses. And it's not just the grade on the transcript, although that's important. Um, it's what do others in the student's orbit say about them? So we ask for a letter of recommendation from a school counselor, as well as uh, a letter of recommendation from a teacher. And then we also, and this is something we started doing um, a, a while back, we also allow students the opportunity to submit a, an additional letter of recommendation, that second letter of recommendation. But instead of requiring it to be from a teacher, we say, Anyone in your orbit as a young person who can offer an important insight on who you are. For many students, it might be another teacher because other colleges they're applying to require two teacher X. But for some, it might be a, an entirely different adult. So it could be a coach, an internship supervisor, a club advisor or mentor, a supervisor at a job, it could be a clergy person, any number of people in a student's orbit who can speak to what kind of person might this student be um, on our campus community. So we care a lot about what these perspectives add in terms of a student um, and their preparation for a place like Bowdoin, because Bowdoin is, is hard. It's challenging, but we want to make sure that students are going to be prepared to really thrive here and, and be successful at Bowdoin. Um, and then also we spend a lot of time thinking about what kind of person is this going to be in our residence halls? You know, all first year students live together on our campus. Um, most students live on campus all four years. If they choose to do so, they absolutely can. It's not required though, but all first year students do live on campus together. And so we think, what kind of roommate is this person going to be? How are they going to be in classes in our, our small 
small classes that are often discussion-based or seminars? Um, what are they going to be like in student life? So these are all questions we're thinking about as we're reviewing an application. And then, of course, the things that are really important to us to keep in mind, as I mentioned earlier, different high schools offer different things. So the context of students coming from, not just their high school context, but their community, that's important for us to understand as well. So we spend a lot of time. In fact, we are in the thick of that process right now um, <laughs> and reviewing applications and trying to understand students as best we can. And actually from that approach, we started doing a few uh, different things over the past few years that I think seek to give students voice in this process. So I mentioned allowing students to select their second letter of recommendation author. It doesn't have to be a teacher. But something else we added is a video response. And it's entirely optional, but we give students the chance after they've applied to the college to sign into their student portal and to answer a spontaneous prompt. There's no right or wrong answer. Uh, students have two minutes to respond. These are not gotcha questions. They're just open-ended dialogue conversation. I'll give you an example in a moment um, that enable us as the admissions committee to get to know students better. So it might be something like you had a free afternoon to do anything. What would you do? <laughs> or what's something you really admire about your high school? What's something you really enjoy about your school? Just an open-ended question um, that we hope allows students to have more space in their application um, to share themselves with us. That's something that's that's really important. So those are all some of the different pieces that we're thinking about and looking at um, in the admissions committee as we are going through and making the really tough decisions of, of who we are able to admit and, and bring to the campus. Well, I really appreciate that very thorough overview. Thank you so much. A couple of things that I just want to review. You talked about looking at how the student performed based on the high school that they attended. As you mentioned, some schools offer AP or IB and dual enrollment. Some schools offer all of them. Some offer none of them. So it's in the context of the high school that you're coming from, students. It's very important that you show that you built ramps, that you challenge yourself over the four years. That's obviously something at Bowdoin that they look at. I also appreciate that you talked about the second letter because we always talk about how every piece of the application should build on the next. So what I appreciate is that the second letter, you're okay with it being from a coach, perhaps somebody from the clergy, perhaps a supervisor at a job, or if the student decides, a second teacher. But again, keeping in mind, trying to build on each part of the overall application. The video response, I know you said it's optional. I think that's terrific as well, because if you have a great personality students and perhaps you're better in person than you are behind the computer screen writing an essay, you should take advantage of that opportunity to get in front of a camera and show off your personality. Again, keeping in mind that each part of your overall application builds on the next. So again, Emily, thank you so much for that comprehensive answer. I really appreciate it. And I think there's a lot of good uh, pearls for students and their parents there. I know you mentioned it earlier, Emily, but what is the percentage of your students that apply from in-state or out-of-state, and does the application process differ for each? If so, please explain. Yeah, this is a great question. So most students at Bowdoin are from outside of the state of Maine. We embrace Maine. We love being in Maine, but most students are not from Maine. About 9% of our student body are students from Maine. The other 91% come from 
all over the country and many other countries as well. Um, and so there are 14 states in our first year class with more than 10 students. Keep in mind, our first year class is a little more than 500 students. Um, and those include places like California, Florida, New York, New Jersey, Texas. There's a whole list. All this information is actually on our website. If this is something that you're interested in learning more about, I encourage you to go and check it out. But most students at Bowdoin are not from Maine. I will say, though, I think many students who come to Bowdoin, um, I would say probably all actually, really learn how how much Maine is important to our identity as a college, but also the college experience here and really embrace and love what Maine offers. So um, we don't have different processes for applicants who are in-state versus out-state. Um, we have one tuition rate, so there's no change in tuition. We are a private institution, so we don't have an in-state tuition, for example. And we look at applications and um, make admissions decisions in the same manner, whether a student is, is from Maine or from another state or country. Well, thank you so much for all of that, Emily. I really appreciate it. And I wanted to mention that I always add the Office of Undergraduate Admissions link in the show notes, in this case, obviously, for Bowdoin College. If there are any other links that you want to share with students and their parents, please send them to me and I'll make them available in the show notes. So what is the average profile of the current freshman class in terms of GPA and any other related data that you collect? And if a student falls below your mid-50% range, what are some of the things that they can do to enhance their overall application? Sure. So students applying to Bowdoin come from all different kinds of high schools, as we mentioned earlier, and they attend schools with all different kinds of grading practices. Some schools wait uh, courses, others don't. Some calculated GPA, it might be on a hundred point scale, it could be letter grades, you name it, we know it's different. So we actually don't recalculate a GPA, um, and I don't have an average GPA for our student body as a result because everyone's GPA is slightly different. But most students at Bowdoin are succeeding. They're getting mostly A's in rigorous courses available at their high school, often the most rigorous. Um, that doesn't mean that a student feels or should feel they have to take every single most rigorous class in every single department at their high school. I want to make that clear as well. <laughs> um, we want students to embrace what it means to be a high school student and, and to learn and grow. Um, and sometimes that means different things for different students. So I just want to throw that out there. But I think what's important for students in thinking about a place um, like Bowdoin, and certainly for us here, is how do I present and share with the admissions committee the things that are most important to me as an applicant in this process, where I have the space to um, provide my perspective, my hopes, my dreams, my interests, where can I and, and should I do that in the application process? When a student's applying in their senior year of high school, many of the pieces of their application are already set. So a 12th grader can't go back and change, uh, at least I haven't heard of how, uh, their ninth grade <laughs> transcript, right? Um, or what uh, they were engaged in in terms of student life um, in 10th grade. Um, and just to throw out there, we also know things like COVID-19 have had a tremendous impact on the experiences and opportunities and challenges and limitations that students have faced in the past two years. So you are imagining, or if you are a 12th grade student, um, there are some places that are out of your control in this process at this point. But there are many places where you have 
a lot of room to really share yourself with the admissions committee um, and, and put your own voice into this process. And that, I think, is my best advice for students who are wondering, um, depending on their profile and what a school they're looking at, uh, the profile of that institution, what is a, a tip or idea for how to best present oneself in that process. I would say really embracing the places where you as a high school student, uh, whether that's through an essay, we have an optional um, response, uh, the video response we mentioned earlier. For us here at Bowdoin, we try to create these spaces that you can share yourself with us. Well, that's really thoughtful insight. Thank you so much, Emily. And going back to the overall application process, I was curious with the increase in schools going test optional and, of course, the ease with which one can apply thanks to things like the Common App, schools are receiving far more applications than ever before. You indicated that your first year class is 500, and yet you received over 10,000 applications, just as an example. So as admissions professionals, how do you determine the number of applicants to accept, waitlist, and even deny when obviously you receive far more applications from deserving candidates than your seats available? This is one of the most difficult parts of my job. It's not the math of figuring out how many students to offer admissions to. It's knowing that we unfortunately are going to be unable to offer admission to all of the wonderful applicants out there. And I really do think that admissions professionals at all different kinds of colleges and universities, this is one of the areas for those of us who work at highly selective places, um, that's the most challenging, is that we know there are wonderful, fantastic young people that we are unfortunately not able to admit to our class because, for example, our first year class is about 500 students. And so I would say, first off, I hope all of the students and families who are listening to this know that an admissions decision is not a referendum on who you are as a person or who your child's success or who they are as a person, if you're a parent or family member listening to this. Um, and so just keep keep that in mind. A little bit of advice thrown in here, um, <laughs> but very true. So we look to see about how many students um, take us up on the offer to come each year from our admitted student class. Um, you might hear this referred to as yield in the admissions profession um, and use that to guide how many students we anticipate we should be admitting each year because it's so important that we are a highly residential experience and campus. It's really important that we don't have too many students. We don't over-enroll, but um, we right. get as close as possible to that uh, roughly 500 student count because all of our first-year students live together on campus. They're in first-year seminars of you know, 12 to 15 students, even fewer than that, depending on the class. So um, we have to be very thoughtful in, in that process. But you're absolutely right. I think um, you know, the challenging part uh, on the admissions side is knowing how many wonderful people out there we're not going to be able to admit each year. Well, we appreciate that response, Emily. Thank you so much. Again, you were so thorough. And obviously, anything that's worthwhile is not easy. And certainly, the college admissions process is uh, not something that's easy. In fact, very difficult when you have so many applications from deserving students and limited seats. So again, we really appreciate the insight. Thank you so much. And so if a student visits Bowdoin, what are some of the sites that they absolutely must visit 
And what are some examples of questions they should ask to help them determine whether or not Bowdoin is the right fit for them? Well, let me just start by saying sometimes I get asked the question, when's a great time to visit Maine? When's a great time to visit Bowdoin? <laughs> and my answer to that is anytime. It's true. We are a place that embraces four seasons. We have a gorgeous fall, a really refreshing and fun winter, spring, uh, the the plant life is coming back, the snow is melting, and then summertime, you know, there's a reason that Maine has a slogan that we are the place um, or the way that life should be. Um, and that is, you know, nothing like a Maine summer. So <laughs> always a good time to visit and students can learn more information about the logistics of scheduling a visit to Bowdoin on our website. Easy to sign up for any sort of program that we might offer both on campus, but also virtual, might I add. I think when students and families are on campus, some places that I would encourage them um, to explore. Part of our student-led tour um, goes through this area, but our main quad really helps situate students to the experience of a Bowdoin education. All of our first-year students come together um, during their orientation period, and we have a convocation near our art museum. Um, and it's really the kickoff to the school experience here. And then that's also where graduation is held. Uh, so there's this nice um, sort of opening and closing to the experience. And the tour will go right back uh, by the art museum steps. The art museum itself, by the way, is also incredible. It's worth its own visit, independent of visiting the college or admissions. But um, I think um, it represents so much about many of the traditions that a student will find here on campus and the community that they will find. Um, many of our buildings on campus reflect uh, the opportunities a student will find here. So we have um, a beautiful uh, building that houses our environmental studies program. Um, the Rue building, uh, it reflects, I think, uh, the commitment the college has to sustainability and being a leader in considering the needs of our planet, but also in environmental studies and the study of the environment. We even have off campus is a little bit of a drive, one quite more so than the other um, that students can take advantage of uh, if it comes to the study of the environment, um, marine studies, Arctic studies, the study of the coast, all areas of opportunity for exploration for students um, where our faculty do, are doing incredible work. So the Schiller Coastal Studies Center is about a 15-minute drive from campus, and it is gorgeous. It's on a place called Oars Island. There are over 100 different acres of forests and meadows right overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. It's just breathtaking. Yes, I'm biased, but it is truly gorgeous. <laughs> it's um, over, I think it's something like two and a half miles of coastline with trails, but also academic buildings, laboratories, research space. And it's a great place to go as a student, whether you're interested in doing really great research with a professor one-on-one, -on -one, or maybe you want to learn how to sail. <laughs> Maybe you're just interested in going out there to work on a creative writing project and get some inspiration from the natural world. Wherever and whatever your relationship may be to coastal studies, the Schiller Coastal Studies Center is a great place to check out. So someone visiting our campus, um, whether or not that's an academic area of interest, I would absolutely suggest that. Further afield, 
And by further afield, I mean it would take someone um, over a day of travel involving ferries and <laughs> and boats and driving and an international border. Um, but I still feel like I should mention it just because um, is our Kent Island station, and that is a island in the Bay of Fundy that the college owns, it's technically in Canada, I suppose, um, where students and faculty and artists do research in the environment and the natural world in the summertime. I have yet to make it up there, but I hear it is incredible. And I think it also represents, again, the leadership of the college, particularly in these areas of study. But getting back to that idea of the common good I I talked about earlier, the notion that the college exists for the broader world um, and that our students, faculty, staff, and alumni embrace that as well. Well, that's a terrific overview. And, you know, you maybe remember when my daughters were younger, my wife and I and our daughters would go up quite a few times to Maine. And the natural beauty there is just stunning, second to none. So people out there, if you haven't been to Maine, it's worth the visit. Thank you so much, Emily, for that overview. I did have one other question related to your application process, and it's about the essay. What are some examples of college essays that really stuck with you? And what advice would you share with prospective students in terms of what to think about as they sit down getting ready to write their essay? I think one of the things that can create a lot of anxiety for high school students going through the college admissions process is the college essay. And so some of the most compelling essays that I've read over the years, and I've worked in admissions for Oh, gosh, 17 years now for a number of different colleges and universities. So this is a range of questions that are these essays were written in response to. But some of the most compelling are on the most mundane topics. I think part of why the college essay process can um, be stressful for young people. And I want to be clear, it's not stressful for everyone. So if you are a high school student going through this process, listening to this podcast, and it is not stressful for you, that is great. You're, you should not <laughs> feel that you must be stressed. Um, but I think, you know, part of that um, anxiety for some is around how do I identify the topic that is of the significance of this transition in my life. And so I would encourage applicants to consider that often the the day-to-day pieces of your experience can make really great topics. So your um, commute to school in the morning could be really insightful into your interests and who you are as a young person. How you spend your time on weekends could give you insight into something that you want to mention. Someone who's had a really important impact on your life, whether it's a family member, a teacher, a friend, whatever the context might be, that might be a place to start thinking about how does this um, reveal something about who I am as a person. Um, So the first sort of advice I would say is to get away from the notion that the topic has to be grandiose in some way. It's okay if it is. There are some students, and it is, and that and that is totally okay. But many of the most compelling essays I've read are about the day-to-day. They're about cooking dinner with a parent. They're about something someone's learned from a sibling. They're about a book someone read that changed the way they think about a lot of things in their lives. Um, a, a, a family pet. Um, a favorite color. 
uh, ways that someone likes to spend their time in their summer. You know, all sorts of different sort of day-to-day experiences, because those things can reveal a lot about who you are as a young person. So first piece of advice, um, write about something that is authentic, true, and to your own experience. The second piece I would say um, is really thinking about is this essay about me? So I just spent several minutes harping on the point of, you know, writing about something that is as close to home, figuratively, potentially, literally. Um, If you're writing about a person, make sure that you, the author, don't get lost in there. I've read some incredible essays about family members, for example, those family members weren't the ones applying to college, right? It was the high school students. So <laughs> if you're a high school student going through this, make sure that your essay says something about you. Um, and, you know, I think that it's okay to be funny if you are a funny person. If you're not a funny person, then maybe avoid humor. It might not be your your right best bet. I would also say Writing in your natural but professional voice is probably a good piece of advice. Have someone other uh, have someone read your application, so make sure that others are giving you perspectives and ideas on what you're writing. But also things like you know spell check is not going to catch um, a correctly spelled word that is not the word you m- intended to insert in your essay. Uh, but things like spell check. Um, so I I think these are the pieces of advice. Um, but I would also say, know when to let it go to go to bed, basically, so to speak. So know when you've done your due diligence, you've done your process, you've written something, you've edited it, you've had a chance to reflect on it, it speaks to you, it represents you in some way, you feel good about it, um, then let it go, hit submit on that application, um, and know that you've done your best work. That's what's important. Well, that was a very thorough, comprehensive answer with great advice for students. I love how you talked about if your essay is grandiose, fantastic, but it doesn't have to be. You gave great examples of different essays, including a commute to school, someone who had an impact on you, cooking dinner with a parent, a book, a pet, and so much more. Emily, that was terrific. But I also appreciate how you talked about not forgetting how to reflect on it, students. How did it shape you? How did it impact you? Because there have been conversations with reps in the past where, for example, someone writes about a grandparent and the rep wants to admit the grandparent to college, but they they didn't learn anything new about the student. So that's also a very important piece, which you covered. And again, Emily, that was an awesome answer. And this was a phenomenal conversation. Unfortunately, Emily, it leads us to the last question, which is, What are your top three pieces of advice that you would provide a student and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? It's been a great conversation. And I just want to say again, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so glad we were able to talk about this time that I think is really important and um, central to a lot of high school students' experiences and, and family members and parents out there. So my number one piece of advice for high school students and their families going through the college admissions process is to make sure to make time for non-college admissions things. This is probably counterintuitive. We're talking about the college admissions <laughs> process. You're you're listening to a podcast at the moment about the college admissions process, and I'm telling you to go listen to a podcast about something else or spend your time doing something else. But I mean it. I think sometimes the college admissions process becomes the focal point of a student or family's world 
And I understand how and why that happens, but I think it's really important to keep some perspective on that and as much as possible, not let the the topic, the experience of applying to college become how a family or a student and parents or others spend all of their time. Talk about other things. Do other things. If you're visiting colleges in person, make time to go do other non-college admissions related things on those trips. And what those things are is going to entirely depend on you, the student, or you, the parent, your, your child's interests. Maybe it is checking out a ballpark in the town that you're in the, of a sports team or eating at a, a restaurant of a kind of cuisine you've always wanted to try or seeing something in the natural world or visiting a museum or amusement park, whatever it might be. But be sure to make time literally and figuratively for things other than college admissions during this process, because I think sometimes it can become the focal point of, of the time spent together. Um, and you want to make sure that you create that time because my second piece of advice is, is everything's going to work out. I firmly believe that for every student. There are, <laughs> is it more than 3,000 or 4,000 different colleges and universities? You probably know the answer better than I. It's somewhere in the 4,000 range, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there are institutions for all different kinds of students. There are vocational programs. There are apprenticeships. There's all different kinds of ways that students can work towards meaningful careers um, that are in that are you know satisfying to themselves and support themselves in the future. For some students, it might be a college university. For others, it might look like a different path. But no matter what a student is headed towards, I firmly believe it's going to work out. Um, And so keeping that optimism and faith in the process um, is, I think, really important. Um, And and lastly, this is not not something that... um, I came up with this phrase. It was someone who worked in admissions a few (laughs) decades ago, but sort of this notion that college admissions is not about the, at the end of the day, the acceptances or the rejections that a student receives, that the, it's not about sort of um, collecting acceptances for a bumper sticker or something to that effect, right? I'm, I'm not being articulate as the original author of that quotation, but I think the big takeaway is um, this process will be challenging. It will have its ups and downs. Um, as a student, you may feel overjoyed at times, frustrated or sad or disappointed at others, but know that people around you have great faith and confidence in you. And families know that your child is um, going to go on to great things that are right for them and find their place. And that there are lots of great resources out there, whether it is a student school, others in their community. Uh, There are many different people who are here to embrace and support you on this journey and this experience. And just to have um, confidence that in the end, it's it's all going to be okay. Well, that was a very thoughtful and thorough, comprehensive answer. Emily, I cannot thank you enough for being with us today. I really appreciate your time and your insight. I do hope to have you again. And I have to say, I'm so happy, as I know, that this podcast episode is going to help so many students and their parents. So we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend. 
and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to announce that we've teamed up with some fantastic affiliate partners to further enhance your overall college journey. So do you or someone you know need stylish dorm decor, trendy college apparel, or top-notch test prep? Whether it's creating a cozy home away from home, flaunting the latest in college apparel, or securing top-notch test prep help, we've got you covered. Check out our affiliate links in the show notes within each of these categories, which we believe will help you, our listeners. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast does get a small commission. But rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit you, our listeners. So check out the links in the show notes and share with anyone you think may benefit. Thank you all and best wishes.